0: we're recording
1: in my experience whenever you make that sound you're expressing a true opinion let's talk about that later <laughs> first how are you i'm good how are
0: you I'm okay i'm tired but you know it's good
1: i have this stupid thing um that where on sunday night i don't sleep very well right. like every every sunday have we talked about this on the podcast yeah.
0: oh i don't know if we've talked about it personally but i don't know if we've Talked about it on the podcast.
1: Yeah, like, I don't have regular insomnia. I just have Sunday night insomnia. And I'm pretty sure this is normal for people in general.
0: You're like the reverse Jesus.
1: Why? Oh, because I rest every day but Sunday? Yeah. So Sunday is my anti-Sabbath?
0: You're the anti-Sabbath. Oh, God.
1: Does that mean I'm the devil?
0: I don't know. Did you figure out why it is? Do you think it's because you, like just can't, like you think about work and everything you have to do tomorrow and your work anxiety? Or is it just your schedules flipping from sleeping in on the weekends to getting up in a work day?
1: Um, yes. <laughs> so all of the above, I guess. It's pretty much like everything that you said. But I also, as a kid, had trouble sleeping on Sundays as well, because I always lamented the end of the weekend and it would manifest as Like you're not going to bed at a convenient hour because if you did, of course, it would make your week easier. It's like this weird thing.
0: How much earlier do you go to bed on a a
1: work day? How much earlier do I go to bed on a work
0: day? Yeah.
1: I guess I usually go to bed at like 1 a.m. and then I wake up at 7.50 a.m.
0: On a work day? Yeah. Oh, I would die.
1: I'm a night owl. I can't focus in the morning.
0: Yeah, me neither, but I would be dead if I had six and a half hours a night. Yeah. Like seven for me is a bad night. Oh, really? Yeah. a good night's like eight to nine hours.
1: Have I ever met seven hour Tony?
0: This is seven hour me.
1: Oh, I thought you were a little grouchy when we opened the the all our podcast tools today and started talking to each other.
0: Well, you were like, how are you? And I was like, good, you. You're <laughs> like, Uh-oh. Like, I don't know what you were expecting me to do. Pretty good, man. How about you? What's up? But yeah, you inferred a lot from my good you. I don't know. I guess I honestly just made me more annoyed because <laughs> I, uh, it always drives me nuts when a, I think it's because I don't want people to know that I'm grumpy and then they call me out on it and I'm like, I'm not I'm not showing you that I'm grumpy. And then I get mad that I am. But also, I just never know Yeah, when someone's like, oh, you're grumpy. It just makes me grumpy. Even if I wasn't previously grumpy, because then I'm on this spiral of like, am I acting grumpy? I don't think I'm grumpy. Am I grumpy? Why would I be grumpy? Would I be grumpy about this? And I start thinking about things I might be grumpy about. Yeah. And then they make me grumpy.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle.
0: Yeah. I get that the intention is probably just to, you know, express concern. So I say, Yeah, you know, man, really tired of having a bad day or whatever. But I'm usually just like, No, you.
1: <laughs> but when you're grumpy though, in my experience, you're you don't like take it out on people. You're just like slightly more terse and slightly less receptive to joke making.
0: Yeah, exactly. I just have less energy to be goofy and for like extraneous conversation.
1: Yeah. So when I, when we open a conversation and I can tell that your energy level is like mid to low because it is the end of the day, I'm usually like, Oh, Anthony's a bit grumpy.
0: (laughs) But can I just be, Oh,
1: he's tired. Yeah. But some people when they're tired are still silly some people are sillier when they're tired. That's true. Or they're more disarmed or or whatever.
0: What? that is true. Yeah, no, I don't feel grumpy. I do feel tired. It was a busy weekend. My parents were up for the weekend. I stayed here and it was just like a busy... We just crammed a lot of activities into two days.
1: Yeah. One of our mutual friends kept sending me photos of your weekend.
0: Oh, really? And
1: then I just had FOMO.
0: Oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I always, I never like to do that. First of all, I mean, I never really take pictures of what I'm doing because I prefer to just do the thing.
1: Yeah, I get it.
0: Um, Well, I mean, also, to be fair, it's not easy for me to take pictures. So (laughs) it's not like a thing that I'm thinking about doing. Because for those who
1: don't, I don't know why that why I reacted like by laughing at that rather than like
0: you know feeling sad that you can't take pictures. That is how I want you to react every time I tell you something that people should find or not should, but other people often would find sad.
1: Right? Yeah, of course, because you don't want everyone to react to the details of your life with sadness. I don't want your pity. Yeah, it's not pity though. It's just like. I just find it funny. Like, I just pictured you like wanting to take a picture and then like.
0: (laughs) I think it is funny that I said it's not easy to take a picture. When in truth, there's no way I could take a picture. (laughs) Like if you had
1: uh, motion specialties, install another um, actuator on your armrest so you could like position your phone to take a picture. That'd be so convoluted.
0: There are people I know who are really into picture taking yeah. and photography, yeah, and they have like mounts on their chair for a camera and stuff. It's just never really been my thing. I almost sometimes resent people who are constantly just taking pictures of the thing instead of just watching it taking
1: pictures while they're eating and going upstairs you're like fuck
0: you (laughs) look at you on your surfboard whatever yeah i know so but then if i do have pictures i get that it's like sharing or something yeah but i always i don't know how to do it without feeling like i'm just rubbing it in people's faces
1: I get that too. Every picture you take that you intend to share on a social media platform is going towards some sort of fabricated id that you're broadcasting to every person that you ostensibly, whose opinion you ostensibly care about. And it's like, there's something inherently disingenuous about the whole fucking thing. And if you're going to take a picture, it should be for artistic purposes or, you know, to actually capture some element of beauty that you might reflect on later not necessarily to tell people that your life is interesting.
0: There's the value of creating memories because you, you, you probably won't remember the moments forever. And then you can look back at an old picture and then remember that moment. Mm-hmm. So I really do like that because I do, you know, I appreciate going back in time and nostalgia, but yeah, I'm more focused on like the present and the future rather than the past.
1: I always, I always think about like the way my dad takes pictures Cause he always busts out his, like his manual camera every time we have family events and he never tells people that the pictures are happening. He's always just like awkwardly perched off in some optimal corner to take a picture of the whole fucking room. And he he'll, he'll catalog them and, um, back them up. And like, he's very careful about documenting our familial events and shit
0: that's cool
1: the funny thing is is because he's always the video taker and the picture taker he's never actually in anything and i always i like that because it's not for him it's not about you know being in the picture it's about the taking the capturing of the moment right
0: well that's the other thing that really bothers me is when people are doing it at the expense of everyone around them like they think that they're the main character in this thing that they're in
1: yeah. Have you ever like been around a close friend of yours while they're taking a selfie? It's and like so you watch weird. them go through all their iterations of photo faces
0: and shit. Yeah. And the different angles and stuff. I was actually at, so I went to a fireworks this weekend. Yeah. Which is a pretty common event for people to take pictures, obviously.
1: Yeah. I don't get fireworks. I'd never like them.
0: Really? I love fireworks.
1: Really? They just explode and there's colors everywhere and you're like, woohoo. And then you turn around and go home.
0: Yeah, you just described everything great about them. <laughs> they explode, there are colors everywhere, and you're like, woohoo. <laughs> so it's a thing that people always try to take pictures of. And inevitably, it's a thing that you can never truly capture in a, a photo.
1: No one ever looks back on fucking fireworks pictures.
0: Come I don't on. No. But I did see this one girl uh, taking a, a photo of the fireworks. But the way she was doing it was very much like I'm the main character. Like she was taking the picture and then looking at her phone, checking out the picture, trying out different filters, realizing it wasn't good enough to post, taking another picture, trying it again until she found one that was postable. But she wasn't actually watching, she never watched the fireworks. Oh my the only God. time she ever saw the fireworks was through her phone.
1: This was a stranger that you're watching, not, not someone you could lecture?
0: No, I was just people watching. I wouldn't lecture them anyway. I don't think I know how to live better than they do.
1: Tony, if you ever catch me taking a vanity fireworks photo, I would hope you would fucking lecture me.
0: I would probably just make like some joke or something at your expense. Such as? I don't know. I'd I'd have to be in the moment. (laughs) All right. I do have friends that do that, like our mutual friend, who like to take pictures of events. And uh, I'll often look back at pictures and they're, like good memories and funny anecdotes and there's nothing wrong with that. And you trying to meet that person in your friend group.
1: There are the good catalogers who do a good job and I I, I am grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is there anything else new with you besides your
1: Sunday morning anxiety? Did I, did I mention last week that I went for a
0: sauna? Not on the podcast.
1: Oh, we didn't? No. All right. Well, Do people know what a sauna is, like, everywhere? Yes. They do, really? I don't know. You thought maybe it was, like, a Thunder Bay thing or...
0: Saunas? Yeah. Now you sound like the main character. (laughs) I thought I was the only one that ever experienced a sauna. Have you ever seen a toilet before?
1: (laughs) Speaking of solipsistic bullshit, I guess saunas are, like, main fixtures of, like, of, like, workout venues and shit, right?
0: Uh, well, I don't have a sauna like a dry sauna, but every day, uh, while I'm taking my shit in the morning, uh-huh. I turn up the steam on the shower and it just steams up the whole bathroom. Uh huh. I, I love the feeling where it really feels like it's filling up my uh, lungs with steam. Yeah. And then also in the shower, at the end of my shower, I like to just crank the heat and sit there. Until my heart starts racing, and I've read that that's actually like really good for a sedentary person who can't get cardio or you know exercise in other ways. Mm -hmm. There's like numbers around this, like parameters. But if you do X number of minutes in a Y degree temperature sauna, it equates to certain a certain amount of physical exercise. Yeah, I get that. The only
1: thing is, is that I get anxious when I have an elevated heart rate and it's not the byproduct of movement. Does that make sense?
0: Well, yeah, it, it's a weird feeling when you feel your heart racing and you can't really understand why. But when you're in the sauna, I think it's pretty apparent why.
1: Mm-hmm, that's that's true. Yeah. It's kind of the similar sensation to anxiety, though, when you you have your flight response and you're totally idle, like in the middle of your day. Right. And it, out of context, it, it doesn't make
0: sense. That makes sense if you have anxiety. hmm It almost feels like you're just having anxiety.
1: My sauna experience that I had last weekend at my friend's place in his basement of his new house that I was seeing for the first time, I'm trying to pack as many story details as I can in one sentence so that you don't accuse me of having too many details in my story. I, it was a good experience. I sat on the bottom, the bottom deck, or whatever. Can
0: you tell me what color the walls were?
1: It was like a, a um, wood siding, or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, seventies era. So it was a lot of oranges and, and uh, yellows and stuff. Okay. Anyway,
0: was there a full length mirror?
1: No, there was not a full length mirror or a toilet or an inaccessible uh, bathtub. Okay. So I sat on the bottom. And then all my guy friends sat on the top. I, I just sat on the bottom because of accessibility reasons.
0: Wait, what do you mean by bottom and top?
1: Well, I don't know. There's like, there's tiers of deck or something. Bench. Okay. So the, the bottom bench for me was like away from like the primary seating area, but it was closest to the floor. And so I was right beside, I was right beside uh, a faucet. So I could run some cold water whenever I had trouble breathing and just splash my face with it. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to make you fall asleep. Continue. (laughs) No, I'm done. It was nice. I, uh, all my, like my shoulder and back ailments were like somewhat alleviated for the next two or three days.
0: Oh, that's cool. I honestly thought that this story was going somewhere else. I thought there was going to be like a, like you came out and changed man at the end of the sauna.
1: No, not really. It's it's kind of a weird ritual though, because you basically just get into a hot room with all your good guy friends, and then you sweat there basically naked for twenty five minutes. Yeah, like that's that's very like that's a that's an intimate situation.
0: So they're above you. I'm still trying to picture the layout here. <laughs> like a bunk
1: bed situation. No, no, it's like there are three benches. And each is above the last. And then there was a, a small little bench off in the opposite corner to where my friend's sat. So I was sitting looking at my friends while they were sweating their balls off.
0: Okay, that's cool. And you think it helped your joints and stuff?
1: I think it helped me relax my neck and shoulders and lower
0: back. That's nice.
1: Because for the next two to three days, I had virtually no discomfort.
0: So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So pools and saunas.
1: Yeah, pools and saunas are good. Aquatic therapy is great because you don't have to weight bear so it doesn't put undue stress on your joints and you can walk around real nicely without mobile equipment. And then saunas are great because heat.
0: Do you think it would be the same if you were in space? I think about that a lot. I've always wanted to try one of those weightless flights where they just free fall in the plane so then you feel weightless for like nine minutes.
1: I, I mean, I guess that would be cool. I would be worried about not knowing which way was up.
0: Why would it matter in that moment?
1: I i, I just like having a vague sense of where I am. Really? I suppose, even though I never
0: have one. Yeah, it's just going to say. Like, anytime we're together, it feels like you... I know that it's like a CP thing and spatial awareness. Yeah. But it never seems to be a, a thing that you're constantly trying to figure out.
1: What are you trying to say, Tony? Actually, that's why I...
0: I'm trying to say you're lost.
1: <laughs> I don't know. When I talk to my coworkers and I what'd you do this weekend? And I tell them, like, oh, I went to my friend's place. The follow-up question is always like, Oh, where do they live? Or uh, like, how how do they get there? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer those questions. And you're just like,
0: I want to know which way up is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know left or right. Okay. Don't ask me where the
0: fuck anyone lives. Yeah, that's fair. I feel the same way when I order food. People will ask me oh, where is that? And I'm like, I don't know, because I didn't go to there. I pushed a button on my phone <laughs> and someone brought it to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you could probably look at a map and be like, oh, that's where that is.
0: Yeah, I just never look at the map because I don't know when it's coming to you, I don't really care where it is.
1: Exactly. And that's a lot of like overhead mental work to like
0: know that. I know how long it takes to get here. Mm-hmm. That's it. I was going to ask you a question. Do you think it's easier to lie if you're mute? No. Really? I think it is because if you're mute, there's less information in what you're saying, or at least different information that we're not used to parsing. So, like
1: before, before we go any further, I, I need to clarify that for this week's episode, we watched A Shape of Water, which is about a mute woman who befriends a fish monster and they fall in love. Yeah. Okay. So keep going.
0: That's literally all we need to say about the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you said to me, "Where did you put it?" I don't know what it is. It's um your favorite video game, and I've stolen it. And you said, "Where did you put it?" And I wasn't mute. I mean like, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. But you could probably infer some things the same way you inferred that I was tired or grumpy from Good You.
1: Yeah, but that was the only stream of... Like Audio was the only stream of information that I had in that moment when I was trying to assess your mood.
0: Yeah, so if I was mute, it would be even less information. So there's less to assess.
1: Well, if you're a mute, I wouldn't be calling you over Discord because there would be no way to
0: know, to communicate with you. (laughs) Yeah, but let's say I was mute. Someone else is like, where'd you put it? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you ask me, Where'd you put it? And I just shrug because I'm
1: mute. In my experience, like like deaf people or you know, like people who are less vocal for disability reasons, like SSL is kind of inherently expressive. ASL? and then they they the, they also kind of learn like like rather emotive facial ex- expressions to accompany their signing. So people adapt to be able to convey their meaning
0: yeah but i i think people don't adapt as quickly to be able to interpret that meaning
1: i think the number one indicator that you're lying is like an inability to hold eye contact and then there's also the whole thing about the narrative of the lie is hard to keep straight so normally if you keep pressing someone that you suspect of lying they'll eventually forget the lie
0: i still think it's easier to lie if you're mute but We'll have to wait till we meet someone who is mute and have them on to ask them questions.
1: I suppose. Wait,
0: how would that person be on the podcast? We'd have to do a video podcast.
1: We would. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I suppose the next time you lie, you could just refuse to speak for a while and see how long you can keep it going.
0: Yeah, but that wouldn't work for me because people already know I can speak. So anyway, let's talk about this movie.
1: I'm almost getting the sense that you didn't like it just from your tone. Am I wrong again about your tone?
0: No, you're right about my tone this time. Really? I didn't like the movie. How come? I'll say it was beautiful and it was really well shot, really cinematic. You know, I think that Guillermo del Toro put a lot of thought into making the movie and it was very nice. To watch. It was very pleasing aesthetically, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like the plot. I didn't really buy into the characters, uh, especially the fish man. They never really developed that emotional connection in a way where I was ever bought into it. I was also very confused with the egg metaphor in this movie. There's a lot of eggs going on. She masturbates to egg timers. She eats boiled eggs. She gives him boiled eggs to eat. It's just there's a lot of eggs.
1: When Tony says she, he's referring to the janitor that is uh, attending after this facility that is housing a top secret, like, military um, project to investigate the nature uh, and, like, perspective powers of this underwater sea creature.
0: Yeah. So does that mean you liked the movie?
1: I did like the movie.
0: But you didn't like it the first time you watched it.
1: I didn't like it the first time I watched it. And I've been thinking about why I changed my mind. And I haven't really come up with a good enough answer. Or, yeah, I don't necessarily have closure on that front yet. I was hoping you would help me work through it. Okay. We should actually clarify for our audience that this is the first movie that we watched for the podcast that we actually did not watch together. Right. And to be honest, Tony, I did miss you while I was watching it by myself.
0: Uh, yeah, I missed you too. It was uh, it was definitely, I prefer watching them together for sure.
1: Yeah, I because if I got the sense that you weren't enjoying yourself, I might have been able to course correct you.
0: I don't know if I wanted you to course correct me. I might have course corrected you into disliking the movie.
1: Maybe, maybe. I do tend to have my opinion swayed by your opinion.
0: No, it's kind of interesting when you watch it separately because we're able to come up with an opinion differently Uh and then we can hash it out on the podcast.
1: So are you saying if you were a janitor at this top-secret government facility that houses military projects of of a, a scandalous nature, you would not have befriended the fish man or felt empathy for him?
0: Oh, I never said befriended. But that's not where this movie goes. Well,
1: no, I mean there's there's an intimacy between the uh, between Sally Hawkins and uh, and Doug Jones, the Fish Man.
0: I would definitely want to understand the Fish Man. I think that's about where it would end. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see where his dick comes from.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You wouldn't play chess
0: with him. The morbid curiosity of does his penis work was the very same that we get from Strangers.
1: Can I say a couple things about this movie that I really liked before we go on about the fishman's penis?
0: Please. Yeah. But as long as we're going back to the fish man's penis after.
1: Yeah. That'll be the, the last thing in my list of things that I appreciated.
0: You appreciated his penis? <laughs> no,
1: that was a joke. You don't actually ever see the the fish man dick.
0: Is that one of the things you disliked about the movie?
1: Well, it was a little anticlimactic in that sense, because they do... They definitely climax. Okay. Well, I was going to say they they take a moment to conjure the image of how it works, but they never actually show it. Yeah. Anyway, why am I talking about this? (laughs) What I liked about the movie was, first of all, the things that you said, um, the movie takes place in 1962. The setting is gorgeous. Like it, it has the caliber of set design of like Blade Runner or uh Bioshock. That's that's a video game series. Yeah. <laughs> so the mov- the movie's kind of like obsessed with water, obviously, and with plumbing and tubing and like um kind of like a greasy spoon diner aesthetics. And uh it really likes classic cars. There's a lot of like like forge driving around. So it's very much like early early episodes of Mad Men but with a lot more money poured into it and it's a pleasure to look at at all times what else the movie also very very horny which I wasn't really expecting
0: way horny yeah is, is this still stuff you liked about the movie it is I
1: like that it was horny and the reason is because a lot of movies nowadays especially mainstream movies that win Oscars like very seldomly have people fucking anymore I got, I can't remember the last time that I saw like an ass or a pair of titties from either a man or a woman, like in a mainstream Hollywood movie, because like in superhero movies, those motherfuckers don't even kiss. Like they don't even have sexualities, let alone ambitions toward like love or whatever. So it was kind of nice to see people having a libido and acting upon it because it's like, it's kind of humanizing. I think we always talk about how we wish that disabled people were not depicted as asexual uh, people. And this movie is definitely not guilty of that. That's for sure. So I'm into it. That's true. You didn't like that. It was horny. I was a little thrown off by its horniness. Cause. <laughs> Cause it's been a while since you've seen tits and ass on TV or on a big screen.
0: It's not even that. It's just, it, it just kind of out of nowhere. She's in a bathtub Flicking her bean with an egg timer.
1: Well, because she's she's got to get ready for work, and that's part of her work ritual. She makes her eggs. She has a shower. She flips her, flicks her bean, as you say. And then she's off to the bus to fucking go mop the floor at the Black Mesa alien facility.
0: I agree that it's good that they sexualized the disabled person, sure. Mm-hmm. But did it have to be with a fish man? Well, why not? Well... Uh, maybe just a, another person would have been cool.
1: I, I see that. Yeah, it's it sucks that I guess that another representation of a disabled character in a movie is a creature feature.
0: Well, yeah, it's also just like, is it saying that she identifies with this otherworldly creature because she's disabled and so they can connect on their otherness? But is that a valid thing to be pushing? I don't know. Like, can it just be, can it just be a sexual wheelie with another human being? Like, why does it have to be in a 1960s float tank with a slimy man?
1: You were turned off by his sliminess. You You wish he had more body hair. I wish he was a person. You
0: wish he had more body hair and that his name was Tony. No, (laughs) not even a little bit of that. They they, they didn't even really sell me on their love other than she was cleaning the tank and was like, hey, do you want a boiled egg? I happen to bring boiled eggs because that's what I eat for lunch. And he's like, okay, I'll eat an egg. And then they're in love. I can sort of see what you're saying. You remember
1: um, in last week's episode, we were talking about how great the character design was for the Little Mermaid creature or people, the people. Yeah. And how, how easy it was to empathize with everyone and just how expressive their faces were.
0: Yeah. This guy was not easy to identify with at all.
1: No. So this movie didn't um, take as much effort to ensure that the fishman was anthropomorphized effectively or that he was cute and approachable. So the movie sort of starts out like jaws or like you know a classic horror film where you don't in your mind's eye have a clear picture of what the fishman is, like his proportions or his intentions. So you are scared before they unveil him. Um, it's a it, it's a bit like, you know, before they show the T-Rex in Jurassic Park or whatever, there's all kinds of buildup and the actual like final product, like when you see Doug Jones in his fish costume with proper lighting, he is actually quite terrifying. As Tony says, he's he's not, he's not a hairy Italian handsome man. He's a slimy fish guy. It, it is a little bit hard to interpret. His character, because he does seem somewhat sinister. He does seem standoffish, and it's not readily apparent that he's uh, perceptive or um, aware. Really, he ate her, his girlfriend's cat's head. Okay, okay, that's that's going a little bit forward in the film. Firstly, Tony, let's let's pull it back. That is true. He does eat the head of a cat, and for cat people out there, that could be a total deal breaker. And you'll fucking turn off the movie and not believe any more of its sentimental moments thereafter.
0: But for you, the, the, I mean, the fish
1: man was a like, does appear to be a creature at first, but I think, I think it's like, a, it's, it's a line that the movie is trying to tow because um, it wants to be an adult fairy tale. And so if you want to earn that label, then there has to be a degree of mystery and menace in your mythical creatures. And so he can't be immediately identifiable or likable there has to be we have to go along a journey with Sally Hawkins and get to the point where we understand why she likes him or what she sees in him.
0: Yeah, and I just don't think I ever got I was never in step with her journey on that. Mhm. I never really bought him as a, you know, I get I get the, the story beats that happened to make him likable for her, uh-huh. but as the viewer, I was never really pro them.
1: Okay, and and it's just because the 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 Doug Jones was too much was too monster like.
0: The, their
1: chemistry never felt believable to me. So I would agree with you that it that that there's a certain like emotional intelligence that is sort of lacking in the film, and that Sally Hawkins does her best to try to make up for that particular gap because she as the like the mute like protagonist of the movie um is very very good at conveying her uh state of mind and emotions in any given scene like this is what i liked about the film okay like everyone in this movie uh, even even the antagonist uh is suffering from a profound loneliness and it's it's all sort of conveyed very subtly like the ritual that Sally Hawkins go like goes through before work, before her midnight shift every day. There's something missing in it right from the get go, and you can tell that she needs somebody in her life, but there really isn't anyone. And then the movie has this like really wild and awesome, elaborate set design. Um, like the 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 alien facility that she works at. Uh, it, it, the scope of it is huge, and. Like it feels like the world the movie occupies like is quite vast uh, and it, and it extends far beyond the characters. But it's always uniquely focused on Sally Hawkins and and chiefly her invisibility, like in terms of her status in that organization. like no one sees her, no one suspects her of anything. She's able to move through these these classified areas without ever being noticed. Because she's just there to clean up like blood and bodily fluid. So you really feel for her um right out the gate. And she has a next door neighbor that lives beside her, played by Richard Jenkins, who is an alum of a wonderful TV show that I watched when I was in university called Six Feet Under. And if you've never seen Six Feet Under, <laughs> it's one of the best pieces of TV ever anywhere ever. Anyway, Richard Jenkins is fucking great. And he lives he lives next to Sally Hawkins. He's like an artist he He like paints like ad copy uh posters for like jello and like uh baking supplies and whatever um he's quite jaded and he's so lonely that every day after work him and Sally Hawkins go off to a bakery where he has a piece of pie that he hates he can't stand the pie at this like chain restaurant, but he goes there just to like schmooze with the um with the bakery owner, just to have a couple kind words or whatever, and then go home. And they do this so often that he has a fridge full of uneaten pieces of pie because he he hates it so much. But he has to go and have that tiny interaction with that baker because it's like the only thing he has to look forward to lately. And that sounds really depressing, but in the actual film, it's 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 uh, portrayed quite nicely. And the moment he opens his fridge and you see all these uneaten pieces of pie, you get a unique sort of picture of how fucking lonely he actually is. And so you understand why Sally Hawkins might be driven into the arms of this fish man or compelled to understand him to some degree. And I, and I, I know that the subtext of that isn't exactly flattering in reference to disabled people and their dating prospects or whatever. But I think the movie does do some really interesting things. Did any of that resonate with you, Tony?
0: Yeah, it was it was a sad movie. I don't think it was sad. Really? I don't think it was sad. No, no, no. I think the the as the visual aesthetic was like gloomy. Mm-hmm. I think everyone was sort of stuck in a rut everyone was like trying to escape to some other better life.
1: Yep. There's very little natural light in the film because the facility itself, I don't think has any windows and because it's typically always raining, everything is damp. And how are you not describing a
0: side movie?
1: Well, I, I just, I think that Sally Hawkins is a ray of sunlight and I think that. Um...
0: Yeah. She's almost like out of place. For me, though, Mm. like the the fact that she was sort of like almost naive to the world around her made her uh, to me, I was just I felt like either she wasn't like fully aware of what was going on or I think she was aware if she was fully aware, it was beautiful. And that's about I feel like they put all of their literal eggs in the basket of visual effects.
1: I disagree. I uh, I firstly I don't think that Sally Hawkins' character was naive um because she takes the time to understand the nature of the creature and there several scientists and like so-called important men around her that are just looking at it as a prospect for like military militaristic like technology development, or whatever they figure they want to breed fishmen and send them off to the moon because they have some unique properties that might might make them um, able to exist uh outside of the atmosphere without dying or something, so they're looking at exploiting the assets, what they call it, for certain kinds of uh capital gain, and she just like takes a few moments to spend some time with it, have lunch with it, uh, sign to it. She teaches, she teaches uh, the creature how to sign. And they eventually develop a kind of dialect or body language that they exchange with one another. And they sort of, um, she gradually works toward a plan to extract the creature from the facility. And she does it mostly on her own. Like she has to enlist Richard Jenkins. um, But it's mostly, she doesn't let any of her coworkers know. And there's one sort of sympathetic double agent scientist that helps her with some of the finer details, like when things go slightly awry in the middle of the movie. But for the most part, like she's quite um, uh, resourceful and smart, she knows how the facility works. Because again, she's invisible. She can float from department to department. She she gets the layout of the land, and she fucking gets her fish guy out of the out of Black Mesa. And uh, I liked it. I thought it was cool. And here's the thing: like Doug Jones doesn't seem lovable because it's really hard to see his uh, humanity. This is what we've been saying, basically, like in going for that more adult kind of like scary aesthetic, it risks sacrificing some of his approachability. And then it becomes hard to understand why she would love him. But that it's also hard for able-bodied people to understand uh interable relationships.
0: Was this an interable
1: relationship? I think so. I mean they both have different disabilities. Yeah. But I, I would think that the 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 fish man requires more out of Sally than the are reciprocal
0: but that's a different definition in my mind of interable relationships if you're just comparing a person's they both have a disability i don't know but yeah you're right like she's less disabled than he is it depends on it depends on what
1: environment you're talking about because they they belong they belong to two worlds that until their meeting like never really collided so he belongs to the to the sea, and she to the land. And when I say belongs, I just mean like that the the environment within which they function best or unassisted. And so I think one interesting thing that we are talking about uh, with um, the Little Mermaid was we are frustrated that the two lovers never really had to try to coexist. And I think this movie um, sort of tries to tackle that. Like Sally Hawkins goes through a great deal of effort once she frees the fishman from Black Mesa to make sure that he can still function or to basically keep him comfortable until she can get him back into seawater. And so that is when things become most intimate between them um, because like the, the stakes are really high and because she has to fucking care about him to take all the precautions to make sure that he can stay alive. So there's a, I don't know, I I I enjoyed it. You know, she has to make him like a saltwater bath or else he'll suffocate. And there are several scenes where he comes close to that because he's so interested in exploring her apartment and the world around her and getting to know her that he's willing to potentially suffocate in that process. And so th- that, is, that is a creature that is more motivated by love or lust or attraction than common sense. And similarly, like she has like FBI agents on her tail, like potentially willing to kill her to obtain the asset that she stole. And so they both made major sacrifices to kind of be together and figure out this problem. And you you feel that plus like they have several scenes where they try to figure out like what intimacy is or or how to get close to one another. And when they when they eventually do
0: like it's it's kind of quite moving. Would you say that this movie, if you won't say it's sad, would you say it's at least melancholy?
1: Its tone is definitely dark. It's a dark fairy tale, and just like Pan's Labyrinth, you know, Guillermo del Toro does not make fairy tales for children. So it certainly feels like e- even something that would be too dark for Tim Burton. It far exceeds the. the it far exceeds the. Um, the tone of uh, Edward Scissorhands, for example, it's not interested in being family friendly, but in that way, like it, 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 it shows its characters' warts and all. It does have some problems, which I'll get into, or, or some implications that that some disabled writers have not appreciated, and I understand that, but I think it does achieve several things. I think it's worth a look. Well, I mean, it
0: won like a bunch of awards. It has everyone critically seemed to love this movie. I just, I couldn't buy the, I wanted to, because it's a beautiful movie. It's mm-hmm. very well done. You can tell you put a lot of care and heart into it. And I appreciate that. I just, I don't know. I haven't fully had a chance to process what I disliked about it, other than like, I, I didn't feel sold on their relationship. Did any of it offend you?
1: Like, were you bored when you were watching? You found you just weren't invested in it? Yeah, I was definitely
0: bored. I felt, it felt goofy in in a way that I I definitely knew it wasn't trying to be.
1: Mm. So,
0: so the scene
1: where Sally Hawkins gets Doug Jones home and then she gives him a saltwater bath, but then they sort of start to get horny for each other. She's like, what, how can I, how can I get him upright and comfortable? And then the two of us can get naked and get, get jiggy or whatever. Grinding Nemo. the uh, Grinding Nemo. That's amazing. She puts towels along the floor and then like runs the water until the bathroom is full of water. And then they just sort of float there together naked. And it might be suggested that, you know, they actually have intercourse, but the movie doesn't show it, which is, I guess we finally caught up to the fish penis moment. Well, I'm glad they didn't show them. The first time I watched this movie, it was before you and I started talking about wheelie movies. And it was before I kind of got acclimatized to the world of wheelie movies. And I find that there is a distinct lack of imagination in a lot of disabled stories. And so granted that nobody on this set was disabled and that, you know, I don't really even think they consulted with any wheelies in the process of making this movie. I, I do appreciate that, that they went for a degree of abstraction in telling a disabled story and that they did create such a beautiful world and that there is a certain amount of problem solving in this film that seems realistic to two disabled people trying to figure out how to be together. And I think the performances were really good. And... Again, like her filling this bathroom with water, I was thinking about like the disaster of water damage that all of that would entail. But then I was also thinking about like the frustration of having to cope with inaccessible spaces and how when she does this, she angers virtually everyone in her building, including her neighbor temporarily, because they're not sure how to clean up the mess. And they're all outraged that water's leaking out uh, through the floorboards and out of the roof and everywhere and it's like i was just thinking of how often you get tension between able-bodied and and disabled tenants because of of sacrifices they have to make able-bodied people have to make in order to live with disabled people and that's really real to me and so i was i saw that parallel in the film and i liked it i thought it was i thought it was cool they also had problems in the film that they had to solve that weren't exclusively related to the fishman's fishness or The Mute Woman's Muteness, which, again, is something that I've said over and over again that I like. So yeah, I, I, I get you. I wish that Doug Jones was more human, because I don't like the idea that uh, Sally Hawkins should have to settle for a monster because she's mute. I get the criticism there. And I also understand the frustration with this dichotomy, that they they can't live on land, so therefore... Sally Hawkins' character has to make concessions to live with the fishmen in water, so I, I understand that th- th- that stuff is problematic, um, but I don't think the good it does outweighs the bad.
0: The thing is, when I'm watching movies like this, I'm not, I'm not trying to view this as like a movie review podcast, yeah, so I'm always just thinking in terms of like the disability parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I agree that as a movie, this is a good movie. But that's not really when I, when I feel like we can... I mean, you can, but I can't. I can't talk with any confidence about what makes it a good movie. Sure you can. I mean, I can talk about what I like and dislike. I'm more interested in the portrayal of disability, mm-hmm. and I'm still not convinced the message behind it, except for the fact that she is sexualized. I do agree. That's a very good move on behalf of the writers. But beyond that, it just didn't sell me. It, it didn't feel like it was normalizing disability. It felt like it was almost going the opposite direction.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Like The disability in it is, if we're saying they're both disabled, right, We're looking at it in that
1: context, but they're 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 both disabled, but they're both super co- competent.
0: Those are mutually exclusive.
1: I guess, yeah. But I, but I'm saying like, uh, okay, go ahead.
0: Um, so they're both disabled, yeah. They're competent, but disabled people can be competent.
1: Well, that but that's what I mean. Like they they have agency and they solve problems. Yeah. You know, like the movie respects them. Is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like. It's the fact that, like, this person who the movie respects has also only been able to find love when it comes in the form of a slimy, egg eating alien monster. Fair enough. I don't think that's doing disabled people many favors.
1: But he's not just a slimy, egg eating fish monster, he can also peel the eggs, and he has a dick. He does have a dick, uh, and he's quite perceptive. Uh, it seems like
0: he's not that. I don't even think he's that perceptive. He's able to figure out that he can eat an egg and that he can eat a cat.
1: He, yeah, the head of a cat. Yeah,
0: but like I don't really feel like he was exceptionally perceptive. I don't feel like he, like we've already talked about how he wasn't humanized physically. But emotionally, I don't feel like there was a lot to him. It, he felt he, he was not a very like complex character. Mm. He, he, re, he basically had the emotional intelligence of a puppy, a domestic animal. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, he did learn some sign language to be able to talk to Sally. Um,
0: you can teach an orangutan sign language. Doesn't I mean you should bang them if you're disabled. I guess.
1: Yeah, you're right. I I, I suppose. I guess I wasn't too focused on the Fish character all that much.
0: Well, I, I was focused on Sally and the Fish's relationship. Yeah. Because I feel like that was the cornerstone of the disability talking points in the movie was, do they make this relationship make sense? And is it understandable to the viewer? Right after they first banged, Sally goes to work the next day. Octavia Spencer is like, wait, you're glowing. Did you bang the fish, man? (laughs) She's like, yeah, for sure. And Octavia Spencer's like, cool. I didn't even know he had a dick. That's not the response anyone would expect from, oh, you had sex with an alien. That's crazy. Good for you, bro. High five. Fair enough,
1: but it is it is the response she would get if she had sex with a human man to some degree, and they would be asking about his anatomy anatomy and curious about it.
0: Yeah, and it's probably the response you'd get if you hooked up with a disabled person.
1: Yep, would like, be like,
0: oh, oh what? good for you. I didn't even know he could fuck. Exactly. But so
1: is it, so is that a problem
0: in the movie? I maybe I see the parallels being drawn to disability and I just don't like them because I don't want to feel like that is the bar that we're setting Mm -hmm. for inter relationships where if you're disabled and no one is going to love you and like your life is so structured and stuff that you are still sexual but only with an egg timer in the room and then you go to work and the only person who finds you sexually interesting is an actual monster.
1: That's not actually true. The There's an FBI agent that makes a pass at a Sally Hawkins, but he's an awful individual and she rejects him. Played by Michael Shannon. I think he um, he suffers from a similar degree of loneliness and alienation as all the other characters. It's just that his station in life has given him a sense of entitlement. So rather than rather than feel like a certain pathos at his loneliness he feels entitled to something better he keeps trying to fill his life with a new car or he like having gratuitous sex with his wife and not really being intimate with her like and being abusive toward his coworkers like you know uh, flexing his authority and intimidating people and saying racist and sexist things to people under him uh he's just a really ugly human being ugly and resentful and he sees that Sally Hawkins like he sees her he does notice her throughout the facility and he's he wonders what she's up to and gets the sense that she has more agency and complexity than meets the eye but he's so mean-spirited and awful that he just ends up terrifying her and the audience he's somewhat one one-dimensional in his villainhood unfortunately even though Michael Shannon himself is an actor is like pretty fucking fantastic. Anyway, um, I agree with you. Yeah, there are some problems with the fish man. And unfortunately, the decision to avoid making him more human-like uh, it makes the whole central romance at the core of the movie somewhat unbelievable. And you're just sort of taking it at good faith that Sally Hawkins' character is in love. And that she does see something in him that we, the audience, potentially does not. Yeah. Which 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 others him, which others the fishman even further.
0: Again, I think as a movie as a whole, it's fine. It maybe you could argue it's good. I enjoyed watching it visually. Mm-hmm. Again, the aesthetics are great, mm-hmm. but purely watching it through the lens of disability, which is all all I try to do when I'm watching movies for this. She was obviously more fully fledged and a complex character than The Fishman, but I still think that she wasn't all that complex. You know, she got up, got to work, her apartment was like, you could tell that she just like, didn't have a lot going on, which again, isn't like a great way to portray Disability, but it is nineteen sixty-two. I guess
1: none of the characters in the movie have a lot going on, though. Even even the the most able-bodied FBI agent with a wife and kids is is deeply alone and frustrated. You know, he'll leave his family home just to go sit in the car because he like he can't stand the effort it takes to play the role of the happy husband. I thought the the movie might have actually been. Slightly more nuanced if that character was played by John Hamm instead of Michael Shannon, because I thought Shannon's villainy was a little bit too much on the nose. Yeah, like toward the end of the movie, he's like he's just like pure evil, and um, and it 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 works like when you think of the movie as a as a simple fairy tale, I suppose those broad character arcs, but it would have been nicer. If John Hamm or sorry, <laughs> if Michael Shannon's character actually thought he was doing good by keeping the fish in the facility, for example, or, you know, trying to protect Sally Hawkins ostensibly, something like that, like he's trying to be patriarchal or paternal, but it's he's misguided. That might have been more interesting instead of him just being like, I have to kill the fish because I feel... Uh, I feel an inferiority complex next to the people who give me my orders. And I am not a man unless I have a car and I can do my job with competence, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think because like Richard Jenkins characters, Deeply Lonely, Sally Hawkins, The Fishman, Octavia Spencer, and Michael Shannon, I think they kind of, I don't think the movie is saying in general that disabled people should have to settle for fish monsters. I know people have made that argument, but I'm not sure I totally agree.
0: Do you think it's arguing that like disabled people, their love life is like super low bar, and you're only going to be emotionally happy if you can find love in a fishman?
1: Yeah, it, it. You could argue that it it does say that. Unfortunately, yeah.
0: I would have been more okay with it if she had a bunch of suitable candidates with a varying ability levels, maybe even human to choose from. And then she meets the creature that's the blue buffoon, and they connect on a new emotional level that she hasn't had before. He sees her in a way that she wanted to be seen, that she hasn't been seen before. And she decided instead of choosing one of those other people, she'd rather be grinding Nemo. That's a good inter love story. But instead, it's implied that she wakes up every morning, lonelier than the day before, gets in the bathtub and drills off while her eggs are boiling. Then her flesh-eating, slimy, swimming oaf comes along. She falls in love because he also eats eggs, unfurls his fish stick so she decides to flood her bathroom and let this dumb demigod bone her and snack on her pets. To me, that's mildly toxic and just unconvincing. Well,
1: why shouldn't the fish man have love?
0: I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I just, again, I don't believe that their love is believable. It, it just, it, it felt like it was just like the disability is this thing to overcome in the love world of Sally Hawkins, and she overcame it by. Filling her bathtub up with salt water so they could bang by the sink.
1: I get that. You you want to feel the fishman's infatuation with Sally as much as hers with him. And it's not reciprocal. It's not
0: balanced. Infatuation is a great way to put it because it's almost implied that maybe the only person she's been with was this fish monster.
1: That That's true, yeah.
0: It's not like she was... Again, she wasn't courting a bunch of people and for whatever reason, they had the most chemistry and against all odds, they were together. Yep. It was just, you have one option. Are you going to take it? Mm -hmm, That's a good point. Are you going to blow up your life and sacrifice your friend, the cat, so you can be with this monster man with a retracting penis? (laughs) Or are you going to die alone? With your egg timer in your left hand.
1: Realistically, there are some there are some minor lifestyle changes or sacrifices you might have to make. However, superficial to date, a disabled person, and maybe the movie kind of gets at that unintentionally.
0: Yeah, but I I don't think you're gonna have to sacrifice your cat or <laughs> your actual life. Like she's she basically has to drown to be underwater with him, or he has to suffocate to be on land with her.
1: Yeah, that dichotomy is is frustrating, yeah.
0: If disabled people had to murder people in order to date them, then I would fully say, don't date able-bodied people if you're disabled. But that's not the case. Yep. You can date disabled people with adjustments, minor, sometimes they're bigger than minor, but every relationship is an adjustment. Every every time you're going to be in a committed relationship, you have to make the promise to one another, the commitment to work towards the goals and the values and the desires of the relationship. Whether it's an able-bodied person and a disabled person or an active person and a less active person or a person who likes horror movies and a person who doesn't, you're still trying to make commitments to that thing but in this case the commitment was just so grand that it was unrealistic and goofy
1: oh i didn't see i didn't see the goofiness on on my second on my second watch i sort of <laughs> i was i resonated with the loneliness at the core of the film and like what that can drive people to do you you understand their excitement and their desire to escape their lives from their infatuation with one another. But uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You've made some very compelling arguments.
0: Uh, the, the thing that, again, that I did like was that she was sexual. <laughs> That's cool. They, they showed her as a fully sexual being.
1: Yeah. See, the thing is when disabled sexuality is depicted in a film or a TV show, it's also worked into the genre of that movie or show, like this is a sex comedy or this is a sex drama. So the only other movie I could think of where wheelies have sex is uh, uh The Sessions and or certain anecdotal stories on Crip Camp. But again, that's the holy Bible of cripple movies. And so it was nice that this movie just had people boning because that's in their nature.
0: <laughs> Do you think that the fish brand was a virgin before this movie?
1: No, I he's like a like a several hundred year old demigod.
0: So you think that Sally Hawkins was just a notch in his universe of banging belts?
1: I I don't know because as you say, his character was extremely hard to read. The movie was more interested in making him opaque and intimidating than in like you know allowing us into his state of mind. And again, I have to go back to this like ableist shitty thought that I keep having, but. Part of me thinks that they made The Fishman less accessible to the audience in order to make us always somewhat uncertain as to why she loves him.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, we only ever have access to the romance through her. And so we can't fully relate to it. And so I guess it, it depends. Like, Is the wheelie of the movie Sally Hawkins or The Fishman?
0: They're both disabled. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. It's like the movie's basically being like, "Look, if you want to date, you're gonna to have to find another person who is disabled." Yeah, fair enough. Which is not true. I I, agree. I feel, uh, you know, she uses her egg timer, and I I can relate to that because my attendants have keys to my apartment, and sometimes I feel rushed when I'm when I'm finding Nemo. <laughs> Tony, you should have said when I'm freeing Willie. When I'm freeing Willie or celebrating Palm Sunday.
1: Right, right. I do have an anecdote. That really, no, I don't. I don't have an anecdote about this. I don't feel comfortable talking about this.
0: I will. I mean, I've definitely one time. I uh, my girlfriend was in the bed, and we were whatever it was in the morning, yep. and we were freeing Willie. Yep, and. My attendant wasn't comfortable with my call, so she decided to just show up 20 minutes early so that she could finish my call or give herself extra time. But... She
1: needed to let you finish first.
0: (laughs) 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 Which is, you know, such a horrifying experience for me, but way more horrifying for my girlfriend. Yeah. Who's there... Especially when it's not your girlfriend and not someone who's super familiar with your life. Yeah. And they're always a little bit nervous that someone's just going to walk in at any time and yep. you have to quell the fear that you have privacy and you don't have to put an egg timer on. So I kind of related to her structured sexuality. Uh huh. But I feel like I'm grasping at straws. If that is what I'm relating at.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I get it. I figure Sally Hawkins just set the timer so she wouldn't tickle a bean for too long. So she wouldn't be late for work. But um, I relate to exactly what you're saying. I lived adjacent to the attendant care office in our apartment building and the walls are incredibly thin as I said before, I used to be able to hear when my next door neighbor would get a Facebook notification on her desktop computer as cle- like clear, clearly enough that it- I sometimes m- mistook it for my own computer. So I, I dated... The person that I dated at the time was close to me and my friend circle. And some of my friend circle included the people that worked Yuck. in the building. And so she was always nervous about there was a grapevine in that environment. And she was always worried about people saying things or walking in and drawing conclusions and spreading rumors. And that those are real concerns. So you actually had to conduct yourself accordingly. And that was really, really frustrating, especially when you're approaching 30. And you still have to behave like you're in high school and sneaking around, and um, you might get caught by your authority figures.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've also dated uh, attendants, and it's that exact fear because they know too much about like how gossipy everything can get.
1: Yeah, they do. And how
0: it can turn. I was dating an attendant, and it they would wash like one of the two dishes, like my staff, my attendants would wash one of the two dishes because we'd have like two dinner plates and they'd wash one of them and be like, well, clearly you didn't eat from both of these. And just like that kind of like cattiness, Mm -hmm. it's it's so frustrating because there's already enough for people to have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And so like you add to it with this and maybe the shape of water is trying to get to some of that. Maybe I just wasn't ready to receive it. But I also think it's so clearly, maybe not, maybe Guillermo del Toro wasn't trying to make a disability movie. Uh I don't think he was. But I think as soon as you're talking in these kinds of terms, Mm -hmm. you're going to relate to that community pretty readily. And if you're doing that, you need to have a disabled perspective. You do. Because as we talked about so many times, there are like four disabled movies out there. Yeah. And one of them is good, most of them are bad, a couple are okay. Yep. And so if you're gonna make a disability movie, you have to give it the thought and care and attention that it deserves. Yeah. Because you're it's so important that you're not misrepresenting people if there was a hundred disability movies and one of them was about a disabled girl who hooked up with a fishman fine a weird movie but okay
1: I still think you're not giving the fishman enough credit because he's not a monster
0: he's literally a monster
1: no he's not he, <laughs> he's a demigod like you know with higher I mean I don't know man. There's a little bit more nuance than monster. He ate a cat's face. (laughs) That's true, he did. I can't even fucking dispute that shit. Fuck you, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, I wanted to um, uh, watch this movie in good faith because there are so few disabled films, like, that even try to be, like, creative. That's true. Or inventive, or exist like the, like exist in other genres. Even like it's usually it's usually just a dry and boilerplate like dramatic. I don't know melodrama. It's just like, but
0: I think because of that, it deserves to be held at a high standard, especially when a movie like this had so many eyes on it.
1: You're right, and it did it won fucking best picture? Yeah, but yeah. There's been a lot of best picture pictures with miscalculated representations of certain experiences fucking green book for
0: sure one best picture and crash because again i think people project how they think it must be interpreted or at least how they feel when they perceive a movie so they're like oh wow i never thought about disability in this light before that's fantastic Uh uh-huh okay yeah but it's not about you like It's not about your growth in that moment to watch this movie and come out with a new perspective on racism or something. You're representing a marginalized group. Make sure you're doing them justice.
1: Yeah, of course. We've seen so many thoughtless characterizations that I think I'm becoming somewhat numb to it because of this podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true that We want these movies to be better, but I think we owe it to ourselves and other disabled people and future movies about disability Mm -hmm. to be critical of these movies and not just looking for the silver lining because thank you for doing a disabled movie with a high budget on creative aesthetics. I think
1: there was more to it than just the visual component, but I do see what you're saying. If you and I write a wheelie movie together, can we cast Sally Hawkins? I love her. She's in one of my favorite movies of all time, which I promise I won't talk about for the next 10 minutes.
0: She was good in this movie, but she didn't. Nobody blew me away. The acting was good, but I feel like to me it was really visual aesthetics, then acting, and then far and last place to me was the plot
1: it had some of the best performers currently working it had uh michael Stuhlberg, who's in boardwalk empire and one of my favorite coen brothers movies called the serious man it had michael shannon who i think is one of the scariest persons on the planet earth like that man i don't know i just i would love a sketch comedy in which he he tries to become a children's entertainer And he terrifies anyone who makes eye contact with him and doesn't understand why. (laughs) Yeah, he has the face of a villain,
0: which is like, there's no way to say that as a compliment.
1: I would love to see a photo of him genuinely elated because I'm certain I would still be scared of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd be
0: like, what is on the other side of that camera?
1: Yeah. No, I agree. The acting was good. Yeah, I don't think you could have... I mean, other than potentially putting John Hamm in the Michael Shannon role, just for his work in Mad Men and how effective he is just playing that particular archetype, you couldn't have casted it better. It's just that it wanted to be more a creature feature. I think purely because of what Del Del Toro's good at.
0: Yeah, and that's fine. Um, And again, I'm not trying to look at it in the lens of a movie... I'm trying to look at it in the lens of a disability movie. Mm-hmm. And I should have been too. I think we've said everything we can say. I mean, like I think we both agree and disagree with certain parts of our perspectives about it. Mm-hmm. And there's no right answer. And maybe I'll watch it again and change my mind or see something differently. Cause like you said, you didn't like it the first time you watched it. And then I think, Maybe you watched it this time wanting to like it because it was an artistic movie about disability.
1: Um, And I know it tried harder than so many other films we've watched.
0: It it definitely tried hard. You definitely can tell that Guillermo del Toro poured his soul into this movie. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And unfortunately, I don't think he was trying to make a disability movie. I think it just happened because... One of the characters is disabled, uh-huh. and also the other one is a fishman.
1: Yeah, and the fishman is not as bad as Tony says, but I understand what he's saying.
0: He's, he's just not exciting. He's just like a really smart puppy
1: who eats the heads of cats.
0: He figures out how to take the shell off of an egg. <laughs> that's about as smart as he gets.
1: I can't take the shell off an egg. You know, that's my whole afternoon if I try to do that. Well, that must be why he loves Sally
0: Hawkins so much.
1: <laughs> I just wanted to feed me uh, poached eggs or something. They're
0: hard boiled. Hard boiled, sorry. Unsalted, hard boiled eggs. Maybe that's why I dislike this movie. <laughs> Who eats unsalted, hard boiled eggs? Have you ever had a deviled egg? Yeah, that's delicious. That's very seasoned.
1: If I come and see you in Ottawa, can we make deviled eggs? They're so easy to make. Okay,
0: cool. Regardless, my major points about this movie are the disability perspective could have taken some work and, you know, had some people with disabilities involved. And secondly, season your boiled eggs. Okay, fine. Also, I will say, Fishman had really feet.
1: What does that mean? I never saw his feet. I wasn't looking at them.
0: Really? Yeah, he had wheelie really
1: feet. You've never even seen my feet. You don't know what you're talking about. I am in a wheelchair, Jamie. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I have feet. (laughs) Why do I just assume your feet are well taken care of? No, they suck. I don't know. I feel like you have a podiatrist that looks after you.
0: I don't. My feet are one of the parts of my body I just try to ignore. Mm -hmm. Everything else I really try to groom and take care of. And then my feet are just like, I look at them in the mirror and I'm just like, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah,
1: not even Tar- Tarantino can love those.
0: No. <clears throat> All right. Do you
1: have a wheel breakers?
0: Wheel breakers. This is probably low hanging fruit, but would you take the deal if I could make you fully able bodied but mute? We've done this one before. Have we?
1: We have, yeah, you've, or some variation
0: of me not being able to speak. Okay, let me pivot really quick. Wait, what was your answer? I don't remember.
1: My answer was uh, wheel. Okay. Because I need to be able to talk because it's like my only skill in life.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Okay. Uh, What about I can make you fully able-bodied? But every time you feel the urge to lie, whether it's a white right lie to make someone feel better or an actual lie to get yourself out of a situation, you piss yourself.
1: Oh, that's an interesting every time I want to lie, I piss myself, yeah, wow.
0: so you either become super honest. What if my bladder's empty? You'll find a way. <laughs>
1: That's true. That also applies to real life.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's always a bit of pee left in an empty book.
1: Especially if you have CP.
0: Yeah. There's a reason it's CP. <laughs> so every time you lie, someone looks down at your crotch and they see CP. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Or, or you become a lying diaper man. I mean, there's probably some other options in there, (laughs) but those are the ones I've thought about. Okay, play it out. Think out loud. I I don't think I'm that much of a liar. Yeah, but there's always like a moment where even, even, there's always a moment where you just, you think to yourself, what should I say here? Mm. And then you probably choose the truth. But the question isn't every time you lie, you pee yourself. It's every time you consider lying. You pee yourself, oh, so anytime you're asked a question or you you want to make a statement and you're not sure if you should go full truth mm-hmm. or deceit and sometimes I mean this is up for debate, but I think there are times where lying can be beneficial to the people around you. I agree, like what about you're planning a surprise for someone and you don't want to tell them what the the surprise is. So you have to pee yourself. I think I'd take the deal. Yeah.
1: Because I guess the only time I consider like adjusting the truth, I guess sometimes at at work I do because like when you're communicating between departments, there's always details that you want to omit or that are unnecessary, but it can feel like a lie. Yeah. So I think I probably end up lying a lot like while working remotely. Yeah. And if I'm peeing myself remotely, I don't care. Right, uh, like my 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 mom would care because there'd there'd be a spot of piss on the floor all the time, and she'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" And then I'd ha- I'd have to move away probably, but then that would force me to get out of my parents' garage, so that's probably a good thing. Yeah, so you
0: wouldn't choose like a diaper.
1: I, I I yeah, I suppose I could wear a diaper. We've talked about diapers before, and yeah, they're definitely not as as um.
0: I can't remember the last time I wore a diaper, but I remember one time I had someone in management at the company i currently live at yeah i want to blow up their name but i kind of do but i won't
1: suggest that you wear them
0: right did we talk about this
1: we did yeah she can go fuck herself
0: she was like diaper technology has greatly improved over the years
1: oh yeah fuck you (laughs) so maybe she's right what the fuck do you know about diaper technology (laughs) i don't even have a crafty retort for that i just want to tell her to fuck off
0: yeah, it was outrageous. Um, so, you would consider a diaper? I do it. Yeah. What about like a first date? And they're like, "What's your favorite movie?" <laughs> and you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> I don't know if I should tell her everything I right know."
1: Oh god! Then you think I I would have to lie just not to appear like a dork?
0: Well, you definitely. Yeah,
1: that's true. At a, at a first date, when someone asks you what your favorite movie is, you can't say Key, New York.
0: You for sure can say that, and you should say that, but you also can't be like, I'm glad you asked. Let me talk for 25 minutes. <laughs> so you just have to be like, yeah, I like to keep New York. How about you? Are you saying this
1: podcast is essentially like being on 33 first dates with me, Tony? I definitely feel like this
0: episode was you just talking about the movie for a while, and I was like, when are we going to talk about the disability?
1: Oh, sorry. I guess I was like omitting... The disability because i wanted i wanted to show my appreciation for the movie but i knew that disabled
0: elements were bad no you're yeah, i get it and we need your perspective on like smart film stuff and then we can also talk about manhandling the ham candle with an attendant possibly outside your door
1: a ham candle why is your penis a candle why isn't it <laughs> all right what does it mean to light the candle?
0: It gets shorter when it's on fire. That's <laughs> so stupid. Oh, God. That's really dumb. Okay, do you have a wheel breaker?
1: All right. So you get to be 100% able-bodied, but every time you have sex with your partner, you have to fill your bathroom with water up up of above the waist. Like the whole bathroom? The whole bathroom.
0: First of all, in this movie, when they're filling the bathtub <laughs> with all... water... They put a towel under the door, and that was somehow all they needed to do? Yeah. That's outrageous. It's a fairy tale, Tony. It's a fairy tale. It's not observing
1: the the realistic physics of fluid.
0: Okay, well, at the very least, if we're translating that into our current world, how am I supposed to make a bathroom full of water? I'm sure you could figure it out. You're very ingenious. Also... What happens to spontaneous sex? You're just like, hey, you want to hook up? Yeah, I'm kind of feeling frisky. Okay, let me start running the shower first.
1: <laughs> for 35 minutes every time? Yeah,
0: it takes 40 <laughs> minutes for you to even... And then you have to also get inside the bathroom, close the door, waterproof the bottom, and then just stand there, Staring at each other naked or something, (laughs) or something while the water (laughs) filled up, and you're just like, So, how was your day? It's true, (laughs) and then it's like,
1: Yeah, it's true. The movie itself doesn't even fully realize like.
0: (laughs) how (laughs) long it it would take to fill the bathroom or how they would bone exactly. Yeah, you just start floating around, and then you're just like, It's up to your shins. After 10 minutes. And you're just like, okay, well, we got another 40 minutes. Let's talk about Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> I had a great callback. That sounds outrageous. I'm so good. I'm
1: so uh, like, now I'm happy about how mad you are at this movie.
0: I wasn't even mad so much as I was just indifferent. Mm-hmm. But then... As we started talking about it, I was like, but I, again, like, I think we talked enough about the parts of it that I agree with that are good. Mm -hmm. I think, I
1: think if, if you had to figure out, you would definitely figure out a quick way of filling your bathroom with water. If it was your only way of, you know, uh, carnal release,
0: (laughs) what is wrong with me? That's just I know. I... And you thought Ham Jango was bad? <laughs> I would say that you're right. Maybe if this was my life and I knew that every time I wanted to, I can't even believe I'm going to say Carnival Release. <laughs> I feel like I need to go see a priest after saying. Gross. Not in that sense. Just to purify my sins. All right, go ahead. Um, I would. You'd like probably
1: install like an adjacent hot water tank, and then press a button, and yeah, you know, it would like the water levels would shift.
0: Voice activated thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'd figure that shit out.
0: Yeah, maybe. But the other thing I could do is just be disabled. You'd get the Guinness Book of
1: World Records for, for the for the quickest amount of time it took to fill an entire
0: bathroom with water. And does it have to be, like, are we holding our breath underwater the whole time? No, you could snorkel. I don't think it's that good for you to have sex underwater, especially as the woman. I think you can, like, I think there's, especially if there's, like, chlorine in the water and stuff.
1: Oh, I never even thought of that. Oh, dear. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I'm not an expert in that area, but. i have a feeling it wouldn't be adding to my like i don't think i could find a way to entice a woman to be like hey you wanna want to go back to my place i got a quick filling bathroom and she's like wait what don't you have a bed yeah i do have a bed but Check it out.
1: Can I just say it? When you said the phrase quick filling bathroom, your eyebrows
0: raised with each word. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying to sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hey, baby. <laughs> you know any guys who can fill their bathtub this quick? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to take that deal. Because also, like, you have to be at home. <laughs> I can't go to your place. Like, hey, can I come over tonight? Uh, start running the shower <laughs> just everywhere I go I leave a trail of water rings and bathrooms you can only have sex in
1: like uh, public pools it's called the Y not the triple X <laughs>
0: sorry <laughs> yeah no, no not doing that I'll stay disabled and and stay disabled All right. what would you like to say to end it
1: all that's it for me I got my ass handed to me today.
0: No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No. It,
1: you were spot on.
0: There's no right or wrong.
1: I guess not.
0: It's good to have different opinions because people can choose to disagree with me or disagree with you or whatever.
1: True.
0: Maybe, maybe we'll get some good comments and people tell us what you thought about this movie. Do you think I'm wrong? Are you on Jamie's side? Yeah, message us on Instagram yeah. or
1: Twitter. Maybe I don't like Twitter that much.
0: Yeah, we don't we use Instagram more for sure. Anyway, let us know what you think, whose side you agree on, which one of us you like more. <laughs> 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 and give us some wheel breakers. We need some wheel breaker ideas.
1: We really do. Yeah. We've gotten to the point of filling bathrooms with water. This is too much.
0: Yeah. Apparently we're reusing old ones, we don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Without knowing. <laughs> Alright guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.